everybody. Welcome back to an all new episode of the Increda Poll Cast. Today, we're going to be talking about our new series, The Incredible Poll Farm on Nat Geo Wild and also streaming on Disney Plus and Hulu. Today, I have, I'm joined by my beautiful wife, Beth Pohl. Say hello, Beth. Hi, everyone. And also, we're going to be joined today by special guest, Dr. and Mrs. Jan Pohl. Hello, guys. All right. Well, very exciting. We'll jump right into it. Uh, We are going to be talking about episodes 11 and 12. And I think uh, this is the time of year that we all kind of dread. It is the end of fall transitioning into winter and it's one of the busiest times on the farm when you're running around trying to get things done i just want to you uh, never get it done on time right girls you never get it done that's true you never can get it done all all done on time but i think we did a pretty good job this year um i just want to touch really quickly on the fences um So we spent a lot of time uh, working on the fences, but actually we had to go and do the fall maintenance maintenance on fences. And I just wondered, Dad, is that something that we can expect to do every year, fall maintenance on fences, making sure that no no metal is touching the wires, no uh, that the weeds haven't grown up too much. That the well, it's just not fall. You got to do that every so often, Charles, for the simple reason that you know these animals will try to get through the fence until they get an electric hook. The biggest problem is, like we have, is you know cows, horses, and sheep. Sheep do not stop for an electric fence, so that's why you have the woven wire on the other side to keep them out. And yes, if they start pushing through because it's, the grass is greener on the other side, as usual, then uh, you have trouble that uh, it touches, and then you have the big animals that want to get out. We always had trouble between having the sheep and the goats and the pigs all in the same pen because the sheep, like he said, the electric fence didn't hold them back at all. So um, we had lots of times that we were all out chasing animals. And don't, sh- don't the pigs dig? Yeah, the pigs will dig. They will dig underneath the fences. The sheep will walk through the electric fences. And the, and goats, the goats will climb over. Yeah. So you got above, below, and through that you have to deal right. with with those animals. Well, so that's yes. good. Keep good your fences notes. up as you year, I'm, year I'm making notes here for the future. Okay? You better. Well, I'll be uh, around. <laughs> Then, you know, we, we go into, we have to finish the garden. Um, and, uh, it was quite a process to move those big rocks. Um, I'm really happy that we were able to repurpose them, to move them. Um, dad, uh, obviously those stones, uh, have been around for a long time. Um, how do you guys feel about the transformation to the property. I mean, you lived here for a really long time and you've seen in the last year, a lot of change. Like uh, you guys, how how does that make you feel? I'm just curious. Well, I'm glad that I didn't have to do it to be honest with you. (laughs) You know, it's kind of hard carrying those rocks, but yes, it looks good, especially the outside garden. I think that is a fantastic job. Yes, that looks very nice. 
And I'm sentimental about things. So yes, I'm glad that you repurposed the rocks from the front and moved them around and are still keeping some of the old things in with the new. Well, we're going to be talking about um, the bees as well, Beth. And, and this was one of the big things that was your your baby, if you will, the bee baby. Going into fall, um, you actually, we had um, a bee expert come out. And I just want to, like, from pre-visit to post-visit, like, was it a, a different Beth uh, after that? <laughs> well, there was a lot of learning that was taking place all during this time. And so I think it's like when you begin the school year and then you get to the second half of the second semester and you're a lot smarter and a lot more knowledgeable. And a good portion of that was as a result of yes. um, our visit with Megan. She provided, uh, Megan Milbreth from Michigan State University came out and really walked through some of the issues, helped us identify the mite problem and the severity of it and then do the proper treatments. But I learned so much. We had uh, an entire afternoon together that day, and I just wanted to absorb everything that she told me um, and learn it all and take it in. And of course, then going back and applying that as well as continuing to read and grow. Yeah, it was a big it was a big transformation. And, and I think probably you saw that, too. You commented a couple of times, um, although I will say it did not start out as my bee baby. Just for the record, this was Charles's bee baby that became my bee baby. Well, I do. I do have a question for for you, mom. Um, when dad had gotten decided to get animals or, or do a project, was there ever anything that like he started and then you got really interested in and you took over because that's, that's this is Beth and I've been talking about, you know, the bees was something that I was like, we're going to get bees and I think it'll be great. And Beth was kind of involved with it, but then it really, she kind of took it over and, got really fascinated really fell in love with it like has there been something in your guys's relationship that that you can relate to where dad maybe Not started really. a project and you finished it <laughs> no dad starts a lot of projects when he doesn't finish them <laughs> no uh i think in their situation it's a little bit different uh because dad had a lot more animal experience than what i did and I love animals, so every new project that we had, I was involved with it at some point. But because of his experience and his medical knowledge and everything, he basically finished up the project. Uh, we, too, started out having bees, and I was not at all interested in the bees. Um, I was a little bit frightened of them, of course. But uh, as, as it went on, yes, I got interested in them. I could see the value of them. I could see... Um, you know, what purpose they served. And I was very interested. And when Beth got going with it, I wanted to try it again too. But the more I learned, the more I found how hard it is and how much work it is and what you have to keep up. Right. So I take my hat off to you, Beth, for all the work that you have done with these with these bees because I've decided that's not my cup of tea. Well, I appreciate that. It, it is a lot of work. It's more than I expected. And I appreciate um, where you're coming from, Mom, because you started by saying that you were almost even a little bit frightened of them. And I think that's exactly the place that I was in when the bees first came to the house. And then it was just, you know, it was time, I think, that taught me to appreciate them. But I was definitely in that same mindset where I was like, why exactly are we getting bees? And okay, honey, and yay, that's great. Good for the environment. Good for my garden. But beyond that... 
That is not just the honey. You know, we need the bees to pollinate. Without the bees, we don't get apples, we don't get fruit, we don't get anything else because you know, they are carrying the pollens from you know, one tree to the other. So, yes, bees are very important. Well, I, I, I think that, you know, I'm very proud of you that you got into it. And I really hope that you continue on with the bees back because you've learned so much. And I think that, you know, the sky is lim the limit to where you can go with that project. We talked to a guy that came uh, to the clinic, wasn't it, Diane? Yes. Who had, he had 150 hives and his brother had 350 hives. And he says he doesn't even wear a suit anymore. The bee stings don't bother him. Yeah, I Get feel ready. like the sky is not the limit for me. 150 <laughs> hives is definitely 10 times too many. I've thought about this. And to me, it seems like absolute max 10. And that assumes the kids are participating and helping as they get older because um, it is a lot of work. And I tell you, the muscles required to lift those hives and to move them around, it's much more than I realized. Well, that's a great transition into um, the winter episode. Time's up for episode 11 and we'll move on <laughs> into episode 12. Um, you guys, uh, you know, in the deep of winter, you know, um, there are many, still many things that you have to cope with, with the farm. Um, can you just talk about the elements and, you know, we, we, uh, start out by, um, protecting the bees and figuring out to, to put up some wind blocks, but can you talk about the West wind dad and making sure that the animals, all animals have the ability to escape uh, right. the, the harsh elements? Well, that's, that's the main thing. You know, animals in the wild know how to find shelter themselves, but when you have animals in the pasture and they can't you know, walk underneath the trees, the pine trees and so on, you have to make sure that there is shelter. So yes, we have, you know, the horse barn, <laughs> with the stalls but i have the doors open so that yes they can go into the barn and go in one of the stalls and it's completely out of the wind very comfortable there the sheep can go the same way so that you know, they are out of the elements and you have you know the emus there that have their own little thing west winds here are not so bad it's the east wind that you just saw now about two weeks ago that brought more snow than we've seen for a long time. And thank goodness we need that snow because we need that moisture. But yes, the animals are smart enough that uh, they just uh, hibernate, you could call it, for 12 hours. They don't care. As long as they are out of the elements and be safe so they don't get caught in a big, big snowstorm. Like I said, animals in the wild know how to do it. We have to provide the shelter for them. Well, you can understand that the, the you know, and what's surprising, I think, to a lot of people who don't live in a colder climate is that if you block the wind, snow actually becomes like a nice insulation blanket, like when it covers something. That's why the, you know, the Induits would build igloos because you could take that snow and, and basically block the wind and, and it, it acts as an insulation in the inside. So the bees, like by blocking the wind and making sure all the directions that they were out of the wind, they, we felt that they were actually best capable to survive 
out where they actually were rather than taking them and putting them in a barn and moving them and having the stress of moving them during that, that period of time. Right. Um, it's just possible as long as, you know, the bees itself, they will, yeah, hum their, their wings and keep warm that way. Strange as it may seem, you know, so they are not completely hibernating. They keep the inside of the hive to a certain degree warm. And as long as you can, you know, keep the wind and the elements from there, this should do fine as long as they have enough honey or if you feed them. Most of the time you feed them extra and that keeps the energy up. And we actually took this time, a period of time to actually um, purchase some new sheep and they were pregnant use, which is why we chose uh, to wait because they were bred um, basically in the late fall uh, so that they would have like uh, April, basically a late April birth. Um, Dad, is it common to uh, breed sheep to, to have that March, April um, birthing? And like, can you talk about the challenge of breeders keeping the rams like separate from the sheep so that you make sure that you turn them out and you have an idea of when when the animals are going to give birth? Well, that's, that all depends too because you know, we already have a lot of uh, sheep owners that now are getting lambs so that they are ready you know, to go to slaughter or to the market at the end of the year. Most of the time, if nature does it itself, these animals are bred in the fall and then have the lambs in the spring because that's when there is plenty of grass again. So that's nature. You know, sometimes we can do something about it if you can feed them extra, but otherwise for us and for you would be by far the easiest, you know, to have the lambs after the snow is gone. And it's actually allows the lambs to do uh, better. Like you don't have to worry because when you breed them earlier in the fall and they have like a February birth or January birth, you really have to watch those lambs being born and the worry yes. about them freezing. Right. Yeah. See, that's they have to be inside. They have to have eat lambs and all that in order to stay warm because when they're born, they don't have a thick layer of wool to keep warm. So, yeah, they need to have it from the milk to stay warm, have lots of energy, and heat lamps many times. Do you still remember, uh, Mom, when you guys got sheep for the first time? And, like, uh, I mean, we were pretty young in the in the early 80s when you guys decided to add sheep to the flock. Did, were there any surprises uh, for you bringing sheep to the to the house and and working with sheep at the beginning um i don't know if i would call it surprises but yes yeah you know, we always enjoyed working with the sheep it started out basically because the, you kids were all going to be going to 4-h and you needed a, a livestock project and that was one of the easiest ones for us but we got very attached to the sheep they were a very very important part of our life and I think one of the nicest things that I remember about the sheep was when there was an orphan sheep or uh, the mother wouldn't accept it, which sometimes that happens. She just doesn't want to let the little one nurse, and you have to bottle feed that lamb. And it's such an amazing 
thing to bottle feed this little lamb. They know exactly when it's time to eat. They know exactly where to go. They know exactly when they want it, and they want it now. But you develop this real relationship with them. So, you know. Just that fatty tame, you yeah, yes. yeah. Sheep are, you know, people are compared to sheep. They they are a flock animal. They want to be with other other sheep, and they follow the flock. But they can have a very sweet individual relationship with you too, and they can get very tame. Do you uh, do you remember? Uh, actually, I I have these vivid memories of you um, taking. Kathy and I, my sister and I, for a ride on the back of the sheep that you would actually <laughs> let us uh, get up on their back and like a horse go around the yard. Do you do you have, remember that? And like, well, yes, how did uh, that oh, start? yes, I remember that. Yes, yeah. that was a lot of fun. That was your little. We didn't have horses right at that time, and so that was your horse to get the ride on. Usually, it was the ram. And how did that start? How did you decide to like just one day? You're like, oh, let's see if the the ram yeah, will let him ride on the back. I think it just kind of came up, and most likely it was your idea. You were always <laughs> the one that was pushing for something different and pushing all the buttons. So you probably hopped on, and everybody else said, "Hey, yeah, I want to do that too." You know, honestly, before having had sheep, I would have said, "Oh, that poor sheep. You know, they're heavy. The kids are heavy. They're going to hurt its back." Now I understand how strong those sheep are, and like, it is uh-huh. definitely not a problem. <laughs> can't remember what we would ride but i just remember they like being pretty easy you just grab the wool and and like you could hang on and the sheep was happy to wander the yard and eat the eat the grass I, i'm looking forward to doing that i have to we have to wait maybe princess Leia. you're too big know. charles you're too no big no now. with our kids I'm saying, <laughs> yeah they might not be able to handle my way so um we actually chose to get merinos beth you were you were pretty uh, instrumental in that decision of, of getting Merinos. Like, what was it about the Merino sheep that uh, attracted you when we're looking at the different breeds? Yeah, I think that most of the farm is fascinating to me because you can do things with what you're doing with the farm. And so the bees allow you to have honey. Um, the garden, you have produce for your kitchen and for your family to eat. And so to me, the sheep were sort of a natural extension of that. But the Suffolk wool, while nice, is not as desirable as the Merino wool. And so as I got looking into the different sheep options that are out there, there are some that are easier to handle. Some are easier birthers, more likely to be better mothers. Some kind of walk the line of both meat sheep and wool sheep. And the Merinos sort of fit those kind of key criteria about accepting their babies and generally being good moms and generally being gen- easy to work with. Um, and then, of course, the value of the wool, which was really exciting because I can hopefully have some good craft projects with my wool. <laughs> she, another another project. You got to clean it first. <laughs> I do it. have That's to clean the, it first. It's we true. have to actually have to get it off in one piece. So, Dad, is it is it fairly common for uh, sh- certain breeds of sheep to be uh, have a higher percentage of rejecting their lambs, or is it really a sheep um, to sheep I, basis? I don't really think that. You know, I've never heard of different breeds being better mothers than others. Uh, it all depends how many. Many times, if they have more than two, they will push the third one away. <clears throat> because those animals know how much milk they can produce. So 
when you have triplets or quadruplets, many times you end up with two bottle babies. But most of the time, they are good mothers. And like I said, there's a lot of different breeds, but I've never had the really where no one breed is better mother than the other. This is another thing. If you have chance where they birth the lambs by themselves so that there's immediately a bond, it's a lot better than you know when you have them in the pasture running with all the others and sometimes another you will, hey, I want this baby, this lamb, and then they start fighting over it and then you have trouble. So the main thing is to have them you know, birthing by themselves so there's the bond instantly. So this is a great transition because we actually uh, had to create a birthing pen in our barn and um, you suggested using pallets to create the fence, which worked really incredibly well. Um, I'm just wondering, uh, can you talk a little bit about the, uh, you know, farming and, and that, that element of reusing um, items? Because so often during this process, we found the ability to take something that we found on the farm that was like kind of cast away or part, and then to be able to reincorporate that um, to, to become useful again. And it seems like uh, uh, something that's pretty common in farming and, and especially in livestock. Definitely. And, you know, the, the nice thing is with a pallet, you don't have to build the whole thing because the slats are small enough that the lambs cannot crawl through. If you have anything else, you got to make sure that you know, the opening is small so the lambs cannot crawl through and get lost. That's why pellets come in so handy. And you just, you know, nail a couple together. A four by four place for a ewe and lamb is just perfect. That way they really can get used to each other very easily. Well, I, you know, this is kind of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but that, you know, we put all four sheep into that uh, birthing area. And I remember seeing the footage when, uh, because I had the cameras on them. Uh, and I remember watching the footage of when the mama gave birth to our little baby, um, the sheep, it was kind of amazing. All the other sheep were incredibly interested. I mean, the mama was definitely the mama, but the, the other sheep were very, very curious about the young one. And the young one was actually very curious about the the other sheep, too. And I, I felt that kind of very uh, interesting. And, and as soon as the, everybody was kind of up and walking and the mama had licked it off. It was kind of like up to the lamb to just, okay, come with me. And, and uh, I, th I found that the behavior very interesting. Well, that's the herd animal. You know, this is where they all come together to protect the young ones. You can actually uh, sometimes have lambs that will bond with someone that's not their uh, mother, correct? Yeah, if they're born at the same time many times, but otherwise, no. Uh, when the, the lambs are born, you know, they know who the mom is, who the, and they stay with them, and also because the mom is trying to keep them. So they need the colostrum, so it's not good 
that a lamb that is just born would go with an other ewe that already has a weak old lamb because they need the colostrum to fight infection. And that only lasts a few days. And right? colostrum is only 24 hours, basically. Maybe, you know, in cows, you know, I would say not more than eight milkings. Okay. When you uh, actually, so transitioning, um, the springtime is is a time of expectation, you know, getting ready for the, the animals to be giving birth. Uh, Beth, it was a little bit of a disappointment for you uh, with the bees because we did end up losing a hive. Um, can you just reflect on uh, your kind of how you felt about um, losing that hive? Yeah, it was extremely disappointing, and I was upset and saddened. Um, it was really hard to open the hive up and see the the bees that had passed away there, um, and that didn't that didn't make it through the winter. And I felt very responsible for that because I was their caretaker, and I had worked hard and was trying to do everything I could to set them up for success over the course of the winter. Um, it was a bitter, it was a very, very bittersweet moment, um, oddly juxtaposed with my joy of seeing the hive that did survive. And so on one hand, uh, there was a, a pretty substantial low for me, but offset by the fact that we did, we w there was some success and that one of those hives survived. And, uh, you know, so yeah, there was, it was kind of like a 50, 50, yeah. uh, both experience for you. Right. Yeah, it was. And I mean, there were a lot of takeaways for me, um, and having lost that hive, um, a lot to learn and to grow and to, um, to leverage from, but it was, uh, it was not the, the greatest, uh, event this spring. That's for sure. All right. This is, this is why the big beekeepers take all their hives south for the winter. Like many people do too, but it's nice and warm and they can keep going. Yeah. And it's challenging because unlike animals, um, mammals, it's easier to identify when there are issues or what it is that they need. Bees are insects right. and we just don't have the same connection with them that we have with animals that are, are mammals or that are reptiles, I suppose, that you spend more time with. And so it, it's harder to identify and know where they're at. And the bees, you kind of have to just do the best you can, get them set up. You tick all the boxes in terms of what should set them up for success, and then it's on them to be able to to make it through. And obviously, there was something that I did wrong in that process. Um, but I I also recognize that um, that was not necessarily fully my fault either. There might have been something happening that I couldn't identify or that we didn't identify um, that may not have been able to be mitigated. So it's it's a, it's insects are more challenging. I'm finding. There, there's this idea of the super organism and like the, uh, each hive is its own super organism, but yeah. like amazingly, like the, the bees as themselves are like also a super organism because every spring they, uh, they, you have to, um, split the hive that they split to multiply. And so even though we lost a hive, there was this idea that the superorganism, uh, the bee as themselves on our property would like we would be able to replace the, the one that died out by having that hive split. So it, it's this uh, it, it, kind of interesting element of that. You almost had like a redo right away. Uh, waiting before you. Yeah, I mean, we had to, splitting the hives wasn't an option. 
And so in a way, it was very beneficial for the hive that um, we did not lose because we were able to utilize the honey from the hive that we lost and immediately give them a source of food um, and support them in a way that the spring season was not ready to do yet. And so that was really nice. And it's true, the superorganism is a really fascinating concept. Those bees, as they ball up for the winter, the ones on the outside are naturally dying. They're all kind of self-sacrificing in order for the survival of the queen and those key bees that are going to be needed in the springtime. Um, and then the, they, they morph throughout the course of the year. There's actually a winter bee and you've got um, the same bee larva, but they all develop differently into what is needed based on the queen's hormonal demands really, or what she sends out um, in terms of hormonal messaging. It's, they're fascinating and, and it's really not just survival of an individual or survival of the flock, but it's like the continuation of this, um, of this creature, like perpetually. It's, it's, I find it quite fascinating. <laughs> See what I'm telling you? She really got into the bees. I mean, it's kind of yes, her she thing. Did. I got more to learn. I'm not done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad that you really you really kind of took it on because like I mean you schooled me there a little bit on that some of those concepts. So that's nice. The the last thing I want to talk about, and it's it's kind of fitting because it's the last element of the episode. I think uh, there's this idea, especially with the merino sheep, because you're looking at um, pretty small sheep, respective. I mean, if you look at the Suffolk versus the merino, the merino are only about half the size of the Suffolk. Um, I think there's this idea that people have because they see kind of small animals that boy they're going to be easy to catch. And like and and hold, but they they're not easy to catch. In fact, that they're quite hard hard to catch. They're quite fast. They're quite nimble, and they're actually quite strong for the per pound ratio. When you look at a lamb versus a human, pound for pound, I would say that lamb is is much stronger. Would you agree? I ben? was one of those people. I mean, I definitely was one of those people who was like, ah, oh, that looks really manageable not manageable especially when you put them <laughs> into three acres yeah <laughs> i still remember when i was uh, about four or five that we had to chase our sheep in the barn to have them sheared and uh, i was the shortest one in the circle of people and uh, suddenly the ram decided that i was small enough to jump over and i saw that sheep go right over the top of me so, yes, uh, I know what they can do. The main thing is don't try to run after them. Every animal can run faster than us. Charles, remember when you were playing football and I told the guys to come out and try to catch those emus that we had? Yeah. You quiet, you know. They can run so fast. So the main thing is quietly push them in the direction that you want and let them see like an open gate. So they think, oh, well, now we can escape. Sorry, now you're in a small pen, and we can more better catch you. But you have to also remember, like you said, they are a herd animal. And if you can get a couple of them headed in the right direction, the other ones will have a tendency to follow because they all want to stay together. They feel protected that way. That is a fascinating thing to watch, yeah, the herd it, mentality at it's, work. It's definitely easier if you just feed them. Like if you get them... <laughs> If you can get a couple of times, my plan for next time is actually uh, to, for a few weeks ahead of time, just start feeding them 
at a certain time of day exactly where I want them to be and just have them all come there because they're fed. And then when the day comes and you go out and you throw the feed, you just close that gate behind them and, and you're done, right? That's definitely the easiest. That way is by far the easiest and the less stressful on everybody. You're right. Um, Dad, I wondered, growing up in the Netherlands, you haven't really talked about sheep before. You talked about the horses, you talked about the cows, but you just mentioned that you had sheep. How many did you have and what kind were they? And did you eat them? Did you use we, the wool? We had Suffolk when uh, the kids were young. And I think at one time we had probably about a dozen sheep, isn't it, Diane? Yeah, but she's talking about back in the Netherlands. Oh, the Netherlands. Uh, same thing. You know, we had the sheep just as a, an after-grazer, because in those days we didn't have the rumors that we have now. So what we did, we rotated animals through the pasture so that you know, the horse worms were eaten up by the cows and they didn't get the worms because they are host-specific. Same thing with the sheep. So that, you know, we rotated the crop. Basically, rotate probably no rotate the animals through the pasture, and that cut down the parasite population, you could call it. And yeah, we usually have about a dozen sheep also. But the Netherlands does have a lot of sheep. They have oh yeah, they're, they're very well known for all the sheep that they have, and they have different breeds than what we normally would see over here. There's a Dutch breed called the Texel that I've had my mm -hmm, eye on. Never reached. Yeah, I've been reading about it's a that big one. one. <laughs> they look kind of fun. No, they're just huge. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they're named after an island north of the Netherlands, and because the the modern say is very shallow and there's grass, so. When it's low tide, they turn those sheep out on that grass so they can eat it. And, uh, yeah, so they go back and forth all the time. But that island had the sheep for that purpose. And, yeah, they were big sheep. Wow. Nice. That's a great story. All right. It makes well. me twice about texels and well, how they might work look forward to <laughs> uh thank you guys for uh joining us today this was a great uh conversation that we got to have um a lot of interesting knowledge uh i want to thank uh mom and dad for joining us taking a little time out of your day uh beth Anytime, as always Charles. beth is it's great having you guys here you can join us again next week where we'll be wrapping out the final two episodes of the Incredible Pole Farms. Again, watch every weekend night, Saturdays at 10 p.m. And you can stream episodes, the entire series on Hulu and Disney+. Plus. Thank you for joining us. Um, and we'll see you back again next week for an all-new episode of the Incredible Pole Cast. Thanks Good. so much. Goodbye. See you soon. Okay. Thanks for joining us. See you the Bye -bye. next time.